This program is a proud member of Univaz. Unified, unique, voices. Learn more at univazpods.net. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen, and so are you! Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets gay. This is episode 302, and tonight we are kicking off October, which is officially John Carpenter Tribute Month. Yay! And to do that, I'm going to be joined by Vanessa McGannery from the VD Clinic podcast and also world-famous actor Dan Dominguez. But what are you going to be talking about, Patrick? Well, I'll tell you, we're going to be talking about one of John Carpenter's lesser-known films, the TV movie from 1978, Someone's Watching Me, starring Lauren Hutton, Adrian Barbeau, and a nice little queer subplot that was really bold for made-for-TV for 1978. But before we go any further, please allow me to introduce myself. My name is Patrick Walsh, and every month I'm your guide through the weird and wonderful world of horror movies, but... I make you see them through my very, 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 very gay little eyes. I am so evil. Actually, I'm not evil at all. Believe me, it's going to make your life better. Trust me, I'm a podcaster. I know these things. So what's been going on at Scream Goons headquarters since the last we talked? Uh, not much. COVID, bleh, despair, misery, boredom. But I figure now is a good time to get this little Pit of business out of the way. Boom, boom. It's Moochie out at the downtown. What's going on with that cat? Well, gang, what you don't know. Something I neglected to tell all of you last time around. I saved it for my patrons, this particular chunk of information, because I thought it would be too much. You remember last month, uh, you know, that last episode, rather? I had been sick as a dog. I had this terrible stomach bug, and it was really bad. What I didn't tell you, that whatever I had, Smoochie had it at the same time. I still don't know know exactly how she did that. I probably gave her some food off my plate and it wasn't very good. I don't know. But we both had a stomach bug at the same time. So let's just say the house got gross. It was pooparama in here. But I couldn't take care of her until I started feeling better. So I finally got her to the vet. It turned out she had parasites and a bacterial infection. So that was fun. But wait, Patrick, didn't you just say you and Smoochie had the same thing? Yes, I had parasites. Okay? Are you happy now? Gross. But now she's had a course of medication. I'm doing better. She's doing better. And now I can finally say, I've been through parasites, but I've never had VD. But I have to say, I think I might have been complaining about the COVID-20 that I had put on over these past three months. You know what a great way to get rid of that is? An intestinal parasite. I don't recommend that at all. No, no, no. No, no, no. That was not the way to lose that weight. And even then, I didn't lose all of it. But do you care? No. Anyway, everything's fine here. At Scream Queen's headquarters, we did have a little uh, diabetes scare with Smoochie. So she is on a highly restricted calorie diet. So she fucking hates me right now. But we're doing good. Everything's groovy. That's enough about her. The one thing I want to say before we kick off the show officially is that it's been eating at me that I'm not doing the pot this year. You know, for the past few years, I do that insane marathon thing where I raise money to help homeless LGBT youth. It bothered me that I'm not doing this this year, but I'm accepting that I can't do it this year because I just can't. I, I just can't put myself through that again, ever. 
However, I figured out a way around that. I'm going to make an official announcement next week. I'm going to be putting out a little mini informational episode to let you know what's going on. Because if I do it now, we'll be here for 14 hours. And you don't want to do that. No, let's get down to the show, right? But let's just say... I have to confirm things with the guests. I have to confirm things with the tech people. But we might be having a one-time live streaming event. And the way to get in there is to make a donation to a specific little charity, which I'll get into in the next episode. Because you're all just like, shut up, Patrick. It's John Carpenter month, not Patrick Talks' His Face Off month. How dare you? How very dare you? But you know what? You're absolutely right. So uh, since there's no trailer for the show because it's a made-for-TV movie... I am very fortunate to have my good friend Casey Kasem here. He's going to be giving you a long-distance dedication with his TV bumper, 1978 John Carpenter movie, Someone's Watching Me. That was the worst Casey Kasem ever. But you know who does a really good Casey Kasem? Casey Kasem. Take it away, Casey Kasem. One week from tonight, she's young, beautiful, successful, and has everything to live for. But someone wants her dead. Hello? Lauren Hutton, David Burney, and Adrian Barbeau star in a chilling tale of suspense and terror. A twisted maniac is at large. Can he be stopped before it's too late? Someone's watching next Wednesday on NBC. Happy October, my beautiful screamers. Yay! It's that time of the year again. And to celebrate this year, as I said probably eight times on the show already, we are making October John Garbiter Month. <sighs> And to kick it off, I'm going to take a look at one of his lesser-known films. We're going to do a lesser one and then one of the more famous ones. So this one is so lesser-known that for many, many years, it was considered a lost film. Nowhere to get it. Nope, 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 nope. It did not get a VHS release. It barely ran on TV. It did not come out on DVD till 2007. So for almost 30 years, this movie was just out there in the ether. But it's here now, bitches, and... and Ooh, that was weird. This little chill just ran up my spine. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm just, sorry. Okay, well, we'll fix this in post. I'm sorry. I just had this weird feeling that, I don't know, like someone's watching me. Oh, my God, because they are. There's a strange man right here on my computer screen staring back at me, and oh, I'm going to introduce him to you. I'm just kidding. He's a friendly face. So... You have seen him on the big screen with Liam Neeson. You have seen him throwing shade at James Spader on the small screen. And you met him a few months ago when he came on to talk about shock value. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, MIGNCs, wherever you may be, please welcome back to Screen Queens, the fabulous Mr. Dan Dominguez. Hello, Patrick. I am so thrilled to be here. I feel so honored that you brought me on for John Carpenter Month. I mean, my God, is there a more important filmmaker, horror filmmaker? Please. Well, I did. I did bring you on for the lesser known John Carpenter film. So don't get too full of yourself. Okay. All right. Something. All right. It's something. It's a, it's a foot in the door. It's a foot in the door. You're coming out. You're going out here at Cars Girl and you're coming on a star. That's I'll take anything happen. I can get. Believe me. I've heard. I've heard. <gasps> oh. What's wrong, Dan? Yeah, uh, I'm not sh sure. Do you ever get this feeling like like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? and Yeah, yeah, and you get like a little goose flesh going all up and down your arms, and it almost feels like, yeah, like someone someone's... else is watching you. I know you're what? 
Oh, oh for goodness sake there. I completely forgot. She's been sitting here patient in this corner the whole time. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you. She is the co-host of the VD Clinic podcast. She's a full contact knitter, and we both bear matching scars from watching the pool scene from the movie The Legacy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, at my GNCs, wherever you may be, please put your hands together for the divine Miss Vanessa McHenry. Hi there. Hello, Vanessa. You Hi were so there. patient. <laughs> She's like, are, they, are these queens no ever going to shut up? <laughs> <laughs> you name dropped the legacy. Did you two get to talk about the legacy and I wasn't involved? Over Halloween, we sure did. Oh, my God. I, oh, yes. <laughs> I love that movie. I love that the legacy. That was for what, last October? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was during the potathon. Yeah, it was a full year ago. <laughs> yeah, but we're not talking about that movie. We're talking about this movie. We're talking about this movie. Focus, kids, focus. All right, so here's. The movie that we're talking about is Somebody's Watching Me. Actually, that's not the title of the film. The title of the film is Somebody's Watching Me, exclamation point, which means by gay rules, it should be a musical. Absolutely. Dear Mr. Carpenter. (laughs) It's just flair. Somebody's Watching Me with music by Marvin (laughs) Hamlish. You know, John Carpenter hasn't been doing much lately. Maybe the idea of turning one of his films into a musical would be exciting. I mean, he's a musician. He is. His son's a musician. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. His ex-wife was that's a Broadway true. star. That's that's right. That is so correct. That is correct. He might. He's gone on tour with him and his son. They've performed in big venues. So it's a. It's. A, I think it's a. I think it's something he would be. A, he could like slide right into and and be a cut and make a great one. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. Okay, no. the, the movie we were talking about is the 1978 made-for-TV film Someone's Watching Me, starring Lauren Hutton and Ms. Adrian Barbeau herself. And I was saying earlier, because this is the second time we did this, look, peek behind the curtain for a little while. <laughs> Things go wrong here at Scream Queens headquarters. <laughs> Both of my guests here know what it was like to be a kid in the 1970s when one of these fucking movies came on. It was a phenomenon. Dan, you were, you were saying something fascinating last time when everything blew up. Well, no, I mean, like, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. And in the late 70s and early 80s, I wasn't yet old enough to go to the movies by myself or be taken to the movies. And no one wanted to take me to the movies I wanted to see, like Hell Night and The Fan and Friday the 13th. So and we didn't have a VHS player until 1984. So my horror diet, my movie diet was a lot of TV movies. I used to love the TV movie. I used mm-hmm. to. My favorite is This House Possessed. Do you remember that oh, one? Oh, with uh, Parker Stevenson and, yep. and uh, uh, what was L- her name? Lisa Eilbacher. Lisa Eilbacher and baby Amanda Weiss from um, That's Simon right. Elm Street getting attacked by garden hose in the first time. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. Vanessa, how about you? What are any experiences with it? Thoughts on the made for TV movie phenomenon of the 70s? Oh, I loved so many of those. And I have to say that. I one thing that I really really enjoy doing now is because you can find so many of them on Amazon Prime and so I'll like on the weekend I'll lay on the couch and I'm fine if I fall asleep watching it it's like comfort food though yeah. but they're just some of them are so incredibly cheesy but some are actually really genuinely good and some of them are really twisted and so what I always say I said is every time I do one of these made for TV movies that you help understand Back in the day, there were three, maybe five channels. 
There mm-hmm. was no HBO. There was no cable. There was no VCR. So when the movies came out, you know, every couple of months, it was an event. Shit stopped. If you didn't watch it, you had nothing to talk about in the playground because everybody else would have seen it. Absolutely. There was planning involved. You had to make sure that your dad wasn't going to be watching, you know, Quincy or some bullshit. And stuff like that because you could not miss it. And the whole family would gather together. Like I after the wonderful Quincy. world of Disney to watch some of the most <laughs> twisted fucking movies. They, they, you think they go straight from family hour into like demon sacrifice, Barbara Eden getting raped by an alien, <laughs> eating babies. <laughs> and you just sat there and watched it. It was just part of the night, different era. And what I have to say, now that I've said that about TV movies and, and what Vanessa was saying about them being cheesy and comforting, that this particular movie does not look or feel like a made for TV movie. No, it doesn't. Someone's watching me does not feel like a made-for-TV movie. Maybe because you have John Carpenter at the helm, a guy who had made two features, I think, at this point. Non-union features. Non-union features, <laughs> but they're still features. They're still movies. Yeah, yeah. And, and was about to make Halloween. So, you know, this is a man who knew what he was doing behind the camera. Not to say that most TV directors didn't. I mean, Peter Medak directed, directed The Babysitter. Did you see that one? Oh, sure. With, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's uh, Stephanie Zimbalist and uh, Patty Duke? Yes. I mean, he went yeah. on to direct The Changeling. Yeah. So, yeah. but the thing is that one of the signature things when you look back at these TV movies now, they were cheap and they were made fast. And they would pack the movie with stars of that network. And you could tell that since all of us are in the business, we could, you could look at them and say, <laughs> these people got the script this morning for this scene. Yeah. So there's not a lot of acting going on. There's a lot of, Right. Telling, not showing like, oh, look how scared I am. And this is what scared looks like without actually feeling it. This movie does not feel that way at all. It, it doesn't. He's got a great cast. He's got a great crew. One of the things that was really setting it apart was lighting. And here's my example. We talked about this online last night briefly, is that her apartment, Lauren Hutton's apartment, is a world of beige. Oh, my it goodness. It is tan, tan everywhere. Off-white, beige, and tan. Everything, like crew, I mean, like <laughs> everything in that family. But the thing is, what was amazing to me, like there was a sudden scene, she was sitting on her camel colored couch wearing her Ecru nightgown in front of her sand colored wall. And I'm going, it's amazing you could see her at all. <laughs> and just... that this apartment still looks great. Like it's monotone, but it looks great. But, it's, it's, but anyway, we'll get into that stuff later. But little things like that. And on, on top of it, the acting is way above average than anything for a made for TV movie. You know what? What are we doing? We haven't even talked about the movie yet. Dan. Hi. Since yes. Vanessa's an old pro at this and you're still, you know, trying to break that hymen. Oh, dear. I need you to give me a nice, tight, 30-second, back-of-the-DVD plot summary. <laughs> nah, don't pitch me the whole story. Pitch me that concept. Pitch, I'm, the, I'm the agent from the studio. Pitch me that thing. You got 30 seconds. The clock says, ah! A young, ambitious TV director leaves New York after a failed relationship for Los Angeles, moves into a high-rise building and discovers that someone across the way is watching her with a telescope, not only watching her, but stalking her. Can she find out who it is, and can she survive her time in Los Angeles? Dan? That was a perfect 30 seconds. You did that right on the nose. Well done, (laughs) sir! Oh my God! Yay. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Welcome, oh my God! You're so good. I hope I love your hair. I hope you win. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. All right. So before we get into the story, I just want to talk about the cast a little bit. First of all, we have the star Lauren Hutton. Oh, Lauren Hutton. Well, she started out as a model before she became an actress, and but she was that very quintessential '70s woman 
and this very certain yeah. look of that era too. And it seemed like every role that she kind of played fit into this one mold. I don't know if she classifies as a supermodel or top model or whatever. Because, you know, Janice Dickinson claims to be the first. And I don't know where she falls in the timeline. But she was the face of the 70s. She was everywhere. She's one of the most beautiful women in the world of the 70s. And it turns out she could act. Right. I did read that she never liked being a model. Right, definitely, compared to some of the yeah. others. Yeah, and um, if you don't know who we're talking about, movie-wise, she was in American Gigolo with uh, Richard Gere. She was in Once Bitten. She played the vampire, vampirus, and the movie Once Bitten. She was just recently in a movie with Amy Schumer, so she's still working. But yeah, she's she's and she's fabulous in this. She's really good. Surprisingly good. You know, I'd yeah. seen this movie before, um, but a long time ago. But I was struck this time at how well she holds the screen, and it, it, it's like she's being tortured for an hour and a half, and you you're right there with her. You're right there with her, and that gap in her tooth. You just love that gap she in refused, her tooth. She I refused to fix it. that that gap in her tooth. She says no. I have to have a flaw. Yeah. Of course, it's kind of obnoxious when I hear that out loud, but still. <laughs> I'm sorry, I need a flaw. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just be too perfect. That was always her signature. From what I understand, this character is pretty much her. Like, she's apparently this kind of wacky, bonkers character in real life. Because this character, for a leading lady, she's kind of nutty, and I love her. She's pretty, pretty much me. Mm-hmm. She talks to herself. She makes up characters in her head. And I love her jaunty walk. Did you notice her jaunty walk exactly. in this movie? Exactly. It's like even if she's walking from her bathroom to her bedroom to her kitchen, she walks so that her hair moves. It's like a, it's like model walking. She's walking like she's a model. She knows how to communicate with her body and not just her face and her voice, which is which is a great trait. It's great. And also in this movie, Adrian Barbeau. Oh, I love Adrian Barbeau. Funny story. On, on yes. another queer podcast called The Gay Lords of Darkness, who I love. I love that show very much. They were talking about various movies of the 70s and they brought up this one and Stacy one of the hosts is like and then there's also a movie called Someone's Watching Me or as I like to call it Lesbian for No Reason <laughs> yes we should say that in this in this film Adrian Barbeau plays a lesbian for which for a TV movie which for a TV movie is pretty advanced I mean you didn't see that on TV it's the way the queer character is portrayed it's not salacious at all Sure, there's the almost obligatory hint at, oh, you're homophobic when she's like, oh, don't worry. After she outs herself to Lauren Hutton, she's like, oh, don't worry, you're not my type. You know, that kind of thing. But as she says later in the film, she specifically is like, you've never treated me any differently. I mean, basically, she's like, you've just always been like, this is my friend. Like, this is just, and it, and it's more, I see it more as them being female friends in a very male-dominated industry. And that's part of see how their friendship forms. And it's never an issue, but it's also, of course, she's the queer character and she has to, spoiler, die off. Uh, but I mean, it was it was the 70s. The fact that it happened at all on TV, it was huge. And the fact that it wasn't no. necessary to the plot. She didn't have to be a lesbian. It wasn't a major plot point right. that, the, that the script hung on. It didn't need to happen at all. And to have this Absolutely. positive, otherwise positive portrayal of a lesbian character in 1978 on TV. Rock on John Carpenter for writing that. Well done. Rock on Adrian Barbeau for the portrayal. Fabulous. Oh, before we go on, can I just say something? I think Adrian Barbeau's <laughs> haircut needs its own credit in this movie. It's almost the Dorothy Hamill. But not quite. It's a, no, it's a Dorothy Hamill slash Joan Jett mix. Like Joan Jett a la The Runaways. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that oh, Susie yeah, Quattro, yeah. you know, kind of been yeah. bleeding over a little bit, but not quite. <laughs> the thing is that uh, just getting back, getting back to the movie itself is that movies like this 
and other TV shows like Charlie's Angels and stuff from the 70s, it really gave me a really different impression of what the reality of my life was going to be living in a city as an adult. Because I really thought peeping toms and obscene phone calls were going to be a much bigger part of my life. And I'm kind of disappointed. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> Well, it depends on where you live. So I had a thought that living in New York, like I've never, there's so many horror movies that I guess influenced me growing up where I've I've never felt comfortable living somewhere that had a lot of windows. (laughs) I'm just a little paranoid. But after I moved to New York and living in certain apartments, you realize at a certain point, your neighbors are just going to see in sometimes. And whatever they're more interested in doing their own thing than actually spying on you (laughs) for the most part they're like oh fuck not another one close your windows stop it most of the time it's just like we just kind of don't care and then when we all of a sudden see each other it's like oh yeah i forgot about them (laughs) movies about lee michaels played by lauren hutton and as Dan said, he's absolutely correct. She moves to the big city of Los Angeles, like running away from a bad relationship and starting over. We meet her checking out this new apartment in this brand new, super fancy, computer-controlled, state-of-the-art skyscraper apartment building. Immediately, we find out she's a goofball. There's a restaurant in the foyer which uh, serves well, what we consider the finest seafood. Uh, we also have a, a gift shop uh, and a wedding chapel. Mother will like that. Oh, mother wants you married, huh? Mother wants herself married. It's looking pretty good now that she's got this um, aluminum siding salesman from Toronto. I think they're going to move here. She wants to be close to me. Uh, uh, maybe we can show her one of our two-bedroom apartments. Well, I'm afraid not. I was lying. No aluminum siding salesman. No mother. I've developed this strange sense of humor, and it sometimes gets me into trouble. Guys telling it's all state of the art and everything's like computer controlled, like the temperature's computer controlled, the lights and everything. It's all state of the art. And she starts telling him weird stories about her mother that he believes and then she has to backtrack. And she's just like, I'm sorry. Sometimes I have a really weird sense of humor. I make things up and it gets me into trouble. And that pretty much is what the movie hinges on. It's nice because she, you know, there we there she is. We meet her. She's model gorgeous. We make an assumption about her and then she's goofy and silly and you just fall. You're like, oh, my God, she's beautiful and she's self-deprecating and she's funny and she has a sense of humor and she seems smart. So you instantly love her. Yeah. And she gets the apartment, you know, and she has that, something similar to uh, what Vanessa just said. She's like, I take it. I love it. It feels like I'm living in the top drawer of a glass box. <laughs> which is pretty much what's happening. There's another huge building right across the way, which is also what everything is hinging on. You see her moving in, and she just happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. She takes a break from unpacking her gigantic, yet somehow small television, which we'll come back to in a second. (laughs) (laughs) That she puts on her bed stand. Who puts their TV on their bed stand? Well, I think that's the only thing that would support it, because the thing looked like it weighed 300 pounds, (laughs) yet it was like six, like the the box itself was enormous. It's this enormous box with like a four-inch screen. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a cinder block with a screen. (laughs) You work in television, and you just got this gigantic apartment, and that's your TV? We're not there yet. But she takes a break from, like, I guess she was, she was exhausted from lifting up onto the nightstand. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a moment where she's, you can see her get emotional about, you know, this new life, and she goes out on her patio, on her deck, and she's looking out at the big city. She's like, Los Angeles, I think this is the start of a beautiful relationship, and it really is because someone's watching her. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> 
And by chance, you just we just see a, a, a telescope just sort of like searching for a body on a on a terrace or a patio, and he just happens to find her. And so the sights are set and we're game on, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. There's no backstory here. There's no revenge story. There's nothing behind it. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, there is a pre-credit sequence where we see the killer, the killer. We see the, st well, he is a killer. Technically we see the stalker stalking somebody else. So we know we're set up for the fact that someone's going to be watching somebody else, but you know, What we haven't mentioned is that, yes, he's watching her all the time, but it's also one of those creepy phone call movies. He's always harassing mm -hmm. her over the phone, and they're, they're not elaborate, but they're very creepy and, and drawn out. It's a whole drawn-out process. Well, yeah. I love the creepy phone movie, I, don't you? They don't make them anymore because we have cell phones. We have, we have caller ID. <laughs> yes, and phones are anchored. Like those phones used to be, phones back then were anchored. You couldn't step away from them too far. Now you can carry your cell phone anywhere. Um, so you were you were like victimized because right, you were right. actually stuck there by the phone, I felt like. So I don't know if I said this this call or not, but she's pretty much me, <laughs> especially in COVID times. Like she's always talking to herself and like playing out these elaborate scenarios with her head, playing both characters at the same time. Like she's going to her first day at work and she's imagining meeting her new office as she's walking through the hallways of her new building. Yes, I did. NYU. Yes, that's right. They have an excellent school of journalism. Uh, now, I've heard that Potsdam had a very good school also. What year was that? Aught six? Uh-huh. Well, uh, that would make you in your late 80s. Isn't that correct? Because that means you won't be hitting on me, will you? You will? Okay. <laughs> It's me any day. <laughs> no, I, I worry about people who don't talk to themselves personally. You know, it's I, it's just when you start answering back to a certain amount. I mean, because a certain amount of answering back is okay, too. <laughs> well, I have a cat. I have to speak for her. Right. I know. You have to make voices mm -hmm. for your pets, too, sometimes. And she's also play acting because she's right. playing her boss and yeah. herself and she's making up what he's going to say back to her. So and it's a whole and again, it's a whole goofy scenario. He's like, he's like 98 years old and, he's, and he still wants yes. to play grab ass yes. in, her, in her mind. And she hasn't met the man. She hasn't met the man. She hasn't set foot in the building. yet. She made up this whole scenario. It's sort of it's so funny because every man in this movie from like the, the guy who shows her the apartment to the doorman to, um, of course, the creeper across the way, to the creeper at her job. Ugh, Steve. And they're all oh, sort of... Fuck Steve. They're, they're all sort of... Yeah, Steve, who keeps asking her out and she keeps refusing. Every man in this movie is leering and, and creepy after her. And even the ones that she imagines that she's making up, her boss, she makes him a creepy old man. So... It was a different time. Right. I mean, I mean, like yes. as, 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 as people of the rainbow... We're like, hey, it, was our, it was our time for sexual revolution, but it was a sexual revolution for straight people, too. Right, right. So it was a whole different playing field, which is, we, 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 get, it, we, get, it, we get a mini lesson in pickup lines in the 1970s, but that's later. I mean, this was also the era of, uh, what, was it, net, uh, what was it, the Battle of the Network Stars, so mm. enough said. <laughs> which one of our co-stars featured on quite frequently, but we haven't met him yet. <laughs> yeah. Nobody <laughs> love it. She goes into work, and what I love about Lee Michaels, She's unflappable. 
Every crisis that gets thrown at her, she really takes in stride, even being terrorized. She is terrorized, but she's never a victim. Like, she's never playing victim. She's always ready to fight and take control of the situation. She almost goes after, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so when she gets into the station, they're like, hi, nice to meet you. Get to work. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a show that's going on live right now, and she has to direct the move, the whole show within 30 seconds of walking in the building. Of course I can start right away. But what? Get me that copy fast. I don't know. Your cameraman, your board, your format. Two cameras, one kitchen set, and a cook. Whatever happened on the job training? We're a small station in a big market. This is it. Now, wait. I can't. You can't. Where am I? Just forget everything? <sighs> I haven't unpacked. I almost greased three Boy Scouts and a pimp on the way over here. I haven't shown anyone my resume. I could be a janitor. What am I looking at? Your essay, your PL button. Mm. I don't believe this is happening. I have 45 minutes to my next interview. Lee Michaels. Sophie, you got 15 seconds. No. You're right, 12 seconds. We've got a four second station ID, fade into camera one. You're on your own. She hasn't even completely had a job interview. They just are, okay, you're already working pretty much. And, you know, no, no getting familiarized with the equipment, nothing. But her, her, fortunately, she's got a great assistant in Agent Barbeau. Mm-hmm. Sappho Sophie. Who is the, <laughs> who is the Sappho yeah. Sophie, who is the, also the only person that brings color into this, into this movie with her dark hair and her always like dark, dark top. Blue. Yeah, she wore a lot, she was a lot of blue, a lot of blue. Yes. She injects a lot of color into the, into the, into the tan beige of this movie, which we love. This, this live show broadcast goes off without a hitch with the two of them working together and afterwards it's like that whole like we just went through a war we're friends forever you got a place to live yet yeah to arkham tower fancy the only way i could afford it is with the nice fat bonus they gave me at my last job they were so nice to you how come you left who was he obvious huh familiar I've seen the same look in my mirror. Who is he? She. Hmm. Don't worry, you're not my type. I'm not worried. So this is this immediate yep. friendship, and what I love about this movie is that this friendship between Lauren Hutton and Adrian Barbeau, and also with Paul, who we haven't met yet, it all feels real. It doesn't feel like a TV mm-hmm. movie, like we're forcing this relationship. I feel like these people have known each other forever. Even though they all just met. Yeah, the writing is good, too. The writing is not ham-fisted or... I mean, it's 70s writing, so you... St- but it's not 70s TV writing. It crackles. A lot of it really crackles. True, true. So we get, like, a shorthand, and, and we and we relationships get a shorthand, but they're so full in this movie, and I guess it's because you've got, you know, actors that you like and a director who knows what he's doing. Yeah, she comes home all elated from her first day at work and finds that the daughter, daughter her apartment is wide open. Yeah, and this... And, yeah. I'm, and I'm sorry, but I would just be more alarmed than she is at this point. Yeah. Even if you were going to have the super come work on something. Yeah, because she was getting her phone installed that day. So she's not entirely mm-hmm. surprised. This lady's, she's also a New Yorker. She's come from New York. So she's probably, she's probably. 70s New York. 70s New York. So she's she, probably a little tougher than the average L.A. person. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking is that she would have been you know, just a little bit more concerned if we're talking reality. In reality, yeah. But she's not, she handles it. She's pretty cool about it because she knows what happened. She calls the, the front desk to complain. The building, calls the building manager to complain. And this sets up one of the spookiest, creepiest moments of this entire film. 
um, should go ahead describe and, well, it. Well, I'm not quite there yet because I just want to say <laughs> she she starts making jokes with him. I'm playing the audio for this dude. She starts cracking these jokes with him. It's setting up this whole thing that the mm, she's setting people up not to believe her. Hello, Mr. Leone, Lee Michaels from 4320. Yes, I just found it. Uh huh. When did they put it in? Well, because they didn't shut my door on the way out. Oh, you were here and you locked it yourself? Awfully early to be drinking, isn't it? Uh, no, no, you know. You remember me, big, um, joker? Just a minute, Miss Leone. Sorry to keep you waiting. Uh, no. No, everything's fine. You just uh, seem to have ghosts in the building. Because she's always telling mm-hmm. these stories. And she made some joke about the manager. And she's like, hey, and the manager's saying, uh, no, I was there and I locked the door myself. And she's like, okay, I must have ghosts. And when she says that, you just see somebody like run across the living room behind her. Exactly. It's an amazingly set up shot by Carpenter. Yeah. You know, like the camera's on her and it's sort of weaving back and forth so that we only see certain sections of the screen. And then we see completely behind her as she's talking and a, a man just skirts across the screen. It's it's an incredible moment. It's just so, um, it's so chilling. So, okay, so now we're just fast-forwarding a bit. They, you know, Adrian Barbeau and her have a little welcome dinner at her apartment. That's the plan. And Lord Hutton gets something in the mail. What does she get in the mail? Uh, Vanessa. It's an offer that's too good to be true on letterhead from Excursions Unlimited. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, what are they offering her, Dan? They're offering her a six-month vacation. And how she's going to win that six-month vacation is they're going to send her objects. And she has to connect the objects and and guess at where they're going to send her. Which is the most complicated contest I've ever heard of. (laughs) Listen to this. Congratulations. You have won a free six-month vacation to Europe. Fantastic. Once a year, Excursions Unlimited chooses a recipient of their all-expense-paid travel incentive vacation designed to promote Excursions Unlimited. To qualify for your six-month vacation... Oh, here it comes. To qualify for your six-month vacation, you must identify your destination from the vacation presents that will be sent to you over the following months. Various presents designed for your use and enjoyment at a specific European location will arrive under separate cover. If you correctly identify your vacation destination, the all-expense-paid trip is yours. Yours truly, D.G. Hill. Well, it's got to be a pitch. Yeah, for what? If you tell them where they're going to send you, they send you there. It can't be real. It looks real. It's just some strange garbage. And speaking of strange garbage, let's eat. Also, a six-month vacation? Yeah, what the yeah. hell is that? Who gets a six-month vacation? Nobody. And you you, you could be going somewhere really shitty. We've had a six-month vacation, but it's because we're not allowed to leave the fucking house. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they they just think it's junk mail. But it's enough to, like, get under her skin a little bit. And it's setting up the whole thing. Because this is this guy's game. He's playing lots lots of long-term games. It's not immediate gratification. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, she's been getting, like, weird hang-up calls. But she's not thinking anything of it. Like, initially, it's coming from Steve, the guy at work who won't leave her alone. He wants her to go out to dinner and she says, no, hangs up. He calls back, hangs up, calls back, hangs up. And eventually she just thinks it's nothing. Hello. Hello, Lee. Hello, Steve. You moved in? 
Yes, I'm getting settled. You need any help? No, I don't need any help. I'm just asking, that's all. No. Thank you, but no thanks. Come on, Lee. Hey, listen a minute. You know what no means, right? No. It's okay. Just no. Why not? Steve, no. No, Steve. <sighs> At the tone, the time will be 8.42. Exactly. No date, but at least you know what time it is. Can't take it, huh? Too bad. Hello. The least you can do is some heavy breathing, Stevie. Another day right. in LA. But it's not. It's not. <laughs> It's that great setup, that great setup in movies where a character calls several times and then like the third or fourth time, the person, they pick it up thinking they know who it is and they're frustrated and they're like, leave me alone. And it turns out to be the killer. At the tone, the time will be. I know. Oh, yeah, that's a great moment. Yes. And she shows her range there. That's a great like 30s uh, phone operator voice that she does there. Yeah. And also during this. <laughs> You're right. Also during like, at another point, like her lights start dimming on and off and on and off and on and off. And what I love, it doesn't scare her. And it's not a big deal. The first thing she does is look out the window to see if it's going on anywhere else. I'm like, that's a great choice. That's a great small mm. choice that would mm-hmm. be left out of another yeah. movie. Uh, so I'm just thinking, I'm picturing Barbara Eden like, oh, 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 the lights, oh. That would be that shit. <laughs> just, yeah, this woman is unflappable and I love her. It's like, it's LA, it's a brownout. Hello, welcome. <laughs> she knows her shit. She's not, she's not... The only thing she's really worried about is being raped by dwarves, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that line. There's also that thing about yeah. There's also that thing about um, you know, with the with the lights going out and the and the just you almost get a sense that maybe Carpenter was trying to do this thing. Like, is she going crazy? Is there a stalker? She spends so much time by herself laying that. I don't know if anyone else I, saw that, but laying that in that. I didn't. I didn't just because we've seen him. Yeah, we see the other side of the calls. Like, we see the wheels of the, the tape recorder spinning. And at this point, we also know that under her desk... What's under her desk? She's been bugged. Her apartment's been bugged. Uh-huh. So he's, he's, not, he's not only watching, he's listening. Which is really creepy. I don't like that. Sometimes I realize I leave my mic on. And when the computer's off, the bu- it's still being... I, I see my, the little light going that it's picking up me futzing around the room. I'm like, eh, who's listening? Nobody's listening, but still. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I love this whole scene with the restaurant where she meets um, David Bernie. David Bernie? Bernie. Yeah, David Bernie. Yes, David, David Bernie. Do you know he's a trained, he's the, he started on Broadway like doing all Shakespeare. He was a trained Shakespearean actor and then did nothing but TV and game shows for the rest of his career. Yeah, well, he was well, smart. He knew he needed to go to TV to exactly, make a Exactly, exactly, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and married Meredith Baxter. Yes, And speaking of lesbians, yes. I was just going to say, and what happened? <laughs> well, let's see. I, I was going to hold off on this, but the other thing is that her for her entire career, Lauren Hutton was plagued with lesbian rumors. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if they're true. I don't know if they're not, but there's a whole thing like uh, she was married to somebody and um, uh, he was killed. They were both in this horrible motorcycle accident. He was killed. 
and she had a terrible head injury, and that's why she stopped acting for a long mm-hmm. time, and she's still kind of fucked up from it. At a certain point in her career, evidently she had a, what has been called a lover's quarrel with Beverly D'Angelo, with wound up with Beverly D'Angelo running over Lauren Hutton's foot. Ooh. <gasps> she didn't confirm or deny it, but Beverly D'Angelo says they were in a relationship, so... Ryan Murphy needs to make a web a win miniseries yes, about thank that, you. like feud. <laughs> I mean, you know, wow, wow. Beverly D'Angelo and Lauren Hutton. There's a couple. Now, was Beverly D'Angelo a lesbian? Was that? Well, no, I think she, she, I think she she's gay? bi, just because she was married to Al Pacino. I think it was again. It's the seventies, man. It was a different time. Everybody, everybody, everybody was did swinging. everything. Yeah. Brando, yeah, 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 yeah. We would. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. You know what I heard about that accident that Lauren Hutton had was that she flipped off her bike and that she slid across the pavement on her face. Ooh. And her, I mean, she was, her whole body was messed up, but her face especially. I don't know if that's true. Maybe that's Gary Busey, but I did hear that Lauren Hutton did slide on her face and that it. Yeah, she almost died. She should, yeah, she almost died. And apparently she's never been with anybody since. Like she says, like, I never, he was the love of my life and I just don't want anybody else. So so Mm. that's for. 20, 25 mm. years now. But anyway, we're not talking about that because we're at the bar. She hasn't. She goes out for the bar by herself. What I love, some guy tries to pick her up with some cheesy line, which she, of course, shuts him down. And you think, good girl, you go. And then she's getting up to go. And then she goes and picks up David Brinkley with an even cheesier line. I'm like, you go, girl. <laughs> Hello, I'm Lee Michaels. Paul Winkles. Well, it's very nice to know you, Paul. Hey there. Haven't we met before? <laughs> Can I uh, buy you a drink? We'll flip for it. You're very lucky because I used to have this quarter that had tails on both sides. Heads or tails? Heads. Mm. White wine, please. Could I see the quarter? Hey, she knows what she wants. I appreciate that. She literally, she literally spots him. And I mean, we don't even see it on camera. She sees something across the way and she goes to it. And then we're introduced to David Burney. And you just think, what, what was it about David Burney that suddenly made her turn her head? It it was that corduroy jacket. Nothing like a corduroy jacket with the, with the, with the patches on the elbows. Uh, On the elbows. (laughs) (laughs) classic look i have to say that when she when she meets up in the bar when she meets him at the bar i thought and i I knew who david bernie was but i thought oh it's david bernie like what's the big deal but as the movie goes on he does sort of become more he's attractive. really good in this like i only know him from tv yeah. and gangsters i associate him with tattletales there's yes. a blast from the past <laughs> <laughs> oh my god tattletales and he had a big 70s fro at the time and we'd be in that little box <laughs> never mind forget it i'm not talking about the show tattletales but no by the but he gives a really good performance and like i said the three of them have this great vibe when they're all on screen together that you don't yeah. get in tv movies because yeah. like i said normally they all they're all just coming in like all the guest stars would be coming in for the day on their day off from whatever show that they were shooting and they just got the script that morning so it always felt like acting this felt like they really were friends and right. i love that no you're you're right it, it's it's completely organic in the feeling that they are having what feels like a genuine conversation it doesn't feel like oh i'm just reciting some lines right and people would say this this little when they're walking across the park and she's just talking about whatever people would say that it's mundane 
They're talking about nothing. It's not advancing the story. I disagree because they say the same thing about the car scene in Halloween where the girls are talking about boys. I love that whole scene. Right. It's about nothing, but it's about what people would be like in this situation. You're just learning about both of them, how they're interacting together. It's not about the dialogue. I I thought they were great. They had great chemistry. Fashion design. You would. Well, you would have another guess. Okay. I don't know. Cheerleader. (laughs) Close. Proctologist. Wonderful. Would you like to tell me? I direct live TV. Seriously? That's my problem, all right. Uh-huh. Whenever I get around to finally telling the truth, no one believes me. I believe you. Uh-huh. You know, when I was a kid, I used to go to my mother for problems, you know, boys, grades, stuff. And she'd say, now, Lee, there you go being wacky again. <laughs> wacky. <laughs> I was the only kid I know with wacky appendicitis. What? Well, I've known you about two hours, and I'm already telling you about my appendectomy and my mother. Yeah, well, that's my job. Getting to the truth, the uh, absolute truth. You're working for my mother? (laughs) No, actually, I work for the philosophy department, USC. Philosopher? That's right. An endangered species. Yeah. So how do you do it? How do you uh, get to the absolute truth, Professor? I try to be as direct as possible, as in... uh... Will you come home with me tonight? Yes. And you're right. He got hotter as the movie went along. I th- I felt like didn't he didn't he feel didn't he feel like by the end I was like oh he's kind of he's kind of cute <laughs> yeah <laughs> but also this is a what was so interesting to me was that when I think of John Carpenter I think of the like the thing and Halloween and Escape from New York and which are not they have good actors in them and the acting scenes are always good but you don't think of them as acting movies and it was refreshing to see oh John Carpenter can actually direct actors to be simple and real and it shows so. I thought he's even more talented as a director than I thought. That's what I thought. I was thinking too. It's a, it's, it was just a really, yeah. well, and you need this because this technically isn't a horror movie. It's a psychological thriller and you really need to be invested in the characters for these things to work. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I really wasn't all of them. And I also was happy that it didn't go the route where, oh, is it him? You know, it's mm. not him that's doing this to her. Like a, a lesser Bernie. movie would have done that. Would have been playing with, oh, He's a red herring. It's, oh gosh, it could be him. It's really him or whatever. But Ned never right. played with that. He was, he was, he was always there to support, but she didn't need him to save herself. And I love that. Exactly. Well, we're not there yet. We're exactly. Not there yet. She, we're not there yet. <laughs> this is dumb. How did they have their second date if she never gave him her phone number? Hey, don't forget my number. Hey, Paul. Paul? <laughs> I thought the same thing. Thank you very much. Greetings, you disgusting, sweaty, saggy-titted piss buckets, otherwise known as the listeners of the Scream Queens podcast. Blah, blah, blah. Yes! Yes, it is I, Flim! Flim! Flim the gargoyle! I am here today just to interrupt so that my friend Patrick can talk some more and tell you all about Scream Tees, the official Scream Queens merchandise store. Take it away, Parasite Pants. I mean, Parasite Patrick. I mean, Patrick. <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, Flem. 
What a friend. Anyway, yes, I just wanted to take a break from the show for a minute just so that I can tell you about the Scream Queens merchandise store, as Flam indicated. Because if you listened last time, you'll know that it, the Scream Teens merchandise store is not just a place where you can buy stuff with the Scream Queens logo on it. I've been combing over all the designs over at Public, picking out the ones that fit the Scream Queens aesthetic a little bit. Nice, a little bit naughty, a little bit sexy, a little bit flirty, a little bit weird with lots of cats. And I've been saying, this is a great way to support some independent designers who made these logos because they get a cut of everything you buy, so does the show. And I also wanted to make a point to say, hey, how can I feature these designs that's not just t-shirts? Because Public has so much more than t-shirts. You can get anything in the store printed on you, not just t-shirts, but tank tops, hoodies, baseball shirts, pins, pillows, mugs, tote bags, stickers, magnets, phone cases, like anything. That's like not even half the list of the stuff that you can put this on. Let's think outside of the box and see what we could do with these fun designs. So the first thing I have picked is a little design. It's called Halloween Black Cat. It is a silhouette of a black cat sitting on some jack-o'-lanterns. In the background is a full moon with some bats and this fabulous purple sky and there's some spooky trees. I said this would make a fantastic throw pillow. The first featured item for October is Halloween Black Cat on a pillow by Psychotronic. It's just enough cute and just enough spooky to make it perfect for Scream Queens. You can hug it, you can squeeze it, you can throw it at your partner when he starts pissing you off, but do not throw it at your cat because that's cat-on-cat action and that's going to get weird, okay? Just telling you that right now. The other item is, you know, it's Halloween. You know, people might be struggling for costumes because, you know, there's quarantine. You know, maybe your costume store is not open and maybe you don't have the money. I said, I found the perfect Halloween costume for the Scream Queen listener. And yeah, I said, it's not always going to be t-shirts, but this is going to be our featured t-shirt for October because it's your perfect Halloween costume. What does everybody want to be for Halloween this year? I'll tell you right now, you want to be a fluffer. This is the t-shirt that just simply says fluffer. Tell the world what your dream is. I bet you don't have the balls to wear this t-shirt. If you do, I want pick. Do you want to be a fluffer for Halloween or do you want to be one for life? Either way, this t-shirt is perfect for you. Maybe you can give it to someone you love who doesn't know what the word means. Won't that be fun? Trick or treat. <laughs> and the other thing that t Public has started doing is that you can get anything here printed on a mask. Promoting health and, and, and making the world a more healthy and safer place by toting around a Scream Teens mask. You can get the Scream Queens logo put on one, or you can pick our featured mask for October. But things, there are times when the world is in such crisis that the gays have to turn to our higher powers. And what higher power is there than B. Arthur? On this mask, you can have the beautiful face of B. Arthur, Queen of the Golden Girls, wearing a face mask with the caption, Be safe. B-E-A, safe. Get it? That's hilarious. Did you not get it? You're probably not gay. And remember, for every four masks you buy, you get a 20% discount on the entire order, plus one mask is donated to a person in need. Isn't that fabulous? And plus you're supporting the independent artists who made these designs, as well as the Scream Queen store. Win, 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 win. So go over there and shop today. That's bit.ly slash merch SQ. Once more for the people in the back, that's bit.ly slash merch SQ. And now back to someone's watching me. Will Lauren Hutton escape her psychotic stalker? And more importantly, how the hell did she get that second date with Paul when she never gave him her phone number? You're going to find out right now. She, I mean, because she goes back to give him his, her phone number, but he's already gone. But wait a minute. How did that happen? She did reveal she was a TV director, so maybe he thought, well, there's only like three stations in this city. <laughs> only three stations in the world, right? Because it's the 70s. <laughs> right. I'll just, I'll just, there's um, only ABC, I'm NBC, say they just and CBS. Stalk, they both stalked the bar until they ran into each other again. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking is that they went back to the bar. 
The fact that she picked him up with that shit, like she has this whole. When she picks him up, it's this whole. Again, she's playing games with him, and it's cheesy line and she's making all these jokes and she pokes him in the leg at one point he's like why'd you do that she's like i just wanted to make sure you had legs i've been afraid of being raped by dwarves what are you talking about i have strange fears really what being raped by dwarves you could have been sitting up there on stilts i I had to check (laughs) she i know but she comes up with because these lines are so cheesy goofy but she gets away with completely being kind of goofy and it's endearing it doesn't come across as cheesy or crazy like this is a crazy person no because no, you could she's just she's beaming she's beaming intelligence she's they i can see her eyes are sparkling so you can see that she's joking yeah and you can see that you're right she's intelligent but she's just quirky I mean, it's funny that she's a TV director because she comes off as like a TV. You think she'd be the TV anchor because she has such a strong personality, such a and the face, and the face, the face, and the face, the Precisely. face. Of course, maybe that. Yeah, but this is. Should we talk about the 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 rape of the dwarf? Let's because... not. Let's <laughs> move on from that. Dwarves maybe... are very upsetting. <laughs> okay, it's a weird. Choice. It's a weird choice, but it That's was it was like bizarre it. enough that I will never forget that. I'm like, Lauren, if I ever run into Red and Hunt, I'll be like, yeah, okay. But it's also the beginning of this in this movie, you know, and this is probably not something to to laugh at, but rape gets brought up several times in this film. It does. It's talked about. The word is used. And I and I mean, it's always used in, in I feel like in the proper context. Adrian Barbeau says it's like he's raping you. So I get it. But um, I just thought for a 70s film, a TV film to talk about rape so much, I thought was really, you know, just like a lot of other stuff in this film. So interesting. I don't care who he is. I don't want to know. Aren't you curious? I'm scared. Ah, you're probably right. Who wants to know their own rapist? Cut it out, Sophie. Well, that's what he's doing. Rape is when a man consciously keeps a woman in fear. I'm just thinking there's the other TV movie called, oh gosh, Night Caller? The Late Night Caller? What is it? I, I forget. It had Robert Reed as an obscene phone caller. Oh my god. But gosh. you never heard the obscene phone calls. You just had someone on the other end going, oh my God, I can't believe you said that to me. Why do you keep calling me? And you never heard the calls. But so you would dance around the whole issue. Another movie would just oh. never say it. Yeah. But this just comes right out. This is like she's being raped and he doesn't even have to be in the room. He's trying to hurt you without touching you. He's working from as far away as he can get and still get to you. Well, and I think that is actually a very interesting distinction, too. Mm-hmm. It's not that he is physically laying his hands on on her he, because he's just harassing her with these phone calls and doing these creepy things like leaving these gifts or sending letters whatever and he's listening and watching and she knows that it's still such an extreme violation and calling it a rape is I think very progressive for that time. Because the sure. thing that we haven't mentioned, and I have to be playing some of the audio, of course, is that these calls, they're creepy. They're never threatening. Hello. Present number one. So, right. or he doesn't use obscene language. So the police legally can't do anything. That's the distinction. I knew I've always mm. known that because I have enough relatives in law enforcement that I know in this kind of a situation. If they don't threaten you or use bad language, we can't do anything. Hello? Lee, I like you better without the robe. Take it off. He hasn't broken the law. Yeah. No, and this is someone who I, I had that as a note that this 
stalker knows exactly what he can get away with legally. It's 11.45. Out late tonight. Look for me. He knows how to push that boundary. How to make you terrified enough and distress you enough without legally... Yeah. Not, I mean, we're, he's not going to get locked away for it. And it's not just the phone calls. Like I said, he's, got, he's hacked. We mentioned at the beginning that this whole apartment complex is super advanced and everything's computerized. So he's able to hack into everything in her life, like, you know, turning the lights on and off. He's got keys to her apartment. So he can get in wherever he wants, move shit around. He's, he's just doing all this stuff that would make you doubt your sanity. It's really amazing the extent of the of the terrorizing in this movie and how far he goes, the like just the elaborateness of everything. Well, a guy sent you a telescope? What do you want us to do? <laughs> he also must have money because he seems to be able to do whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the yeah, let's talk about excursions in limited. Like the uh she gets the first present. Like that's the whole thing. Like you gotta get all these presents and their clues to the secret destination where you're gonna get your six month vacation. And the first one is a telescope. Mm-hmm. A nice one. Yeah. And she sets it up and it's cool. And she's like, oh, whatever. And then the second one's a bikini. And we don't really see anything else, but it's like, that's a really weird thing to send to somebody. <laughs> and every time he calls, every time she gets a present, she gets a call. Hello. Present number two. I hope it fits. Technically, he just... It's, well, what did he say? Oh, he just verified that you got your present? Yeah, lock him up. What do you want us to do? Yeah, this guy's in it for the, he's in it for the long game, right? He's, no, he's just not going to stalk her. He's going to draw this out. And like, he's into driving women crazy. So Driving them, driving them to suicide. Yes. That's the game. He's very patient. Well, and the suicide thing is... Is he driving them to suicide or is he making it look like it's a suicide? Ah, and he's also actually possible. killing them. I thought that was the case. I mean, because at the end, he, write, he writes. That's what I think. He, is well, we case. don't want to give away the end. But yeah, that's what yeah, I, well, I think. I think because I think the woman that you heard at the beginning, it's not just like, I have a way that I'm going to get away from you forever. Hmm. And then you then later, much later on, like you just hear in the background about somebody jumping off a building. Yes. Some woman who jumped off a building. So you might not even connect it to. Yeah, I think it's he's making it look like that. And he's doing he's actually killing them. OK, that makes sense, too. What yeah. A creep. What a creep. What a creep. What a total creep. <laughs> and Adrian Barbeau doesn't know how to eat spaghetti. That was a very weird. I, <laughs> and I love rolling my spaghetti. But oh, my God, really? <sighs> it was funny. This is impossible. It's the Roman revenge. You curl the stuff up against your spoon and then watch it wriggle off. I love that moment because she's so intense and upset about it. <laughs> and, right. you know, Carpenter wrote a whole line about it. And it's uh, it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just with the scene as well. Like, uh, OK, going back to Adrian Barbovia, lesbian. One of the things that I loved about this particular scene is that you find that she has a girlfriend. Late date? Not exactly. I've got to decide if there's anything left to salvage here or if I should really go to Fort Worth. She's not a celibate gay character. Yep. In a movie. It's a relationship that's on the rocks, but she says, well, I got to go meet somebody to find out if there's anything worth salvaging before because she's supposed to leave for Fort Worth for a new job. She's thinking about taking a new job in Fort Worth. And she's like, kind of dependent on this girlfriend or not. Wow. We never meet the girlfriend, but the fact that she exists at all in the script. Yeah. 
huge yeah. for 1978. Yeah. And again, this scene, like the thing is, it's not just happening at home, this stuff. She, he calls her at work. It's for you. Who knows I'm here? They're paging you. One? Mm-hmm. Hello? Michael? Yes, it is. Yes. Yes, it is. I thought so. He bothers her there, and in this scene, I, this was terrifying. Like, there's like Adrian Barbo leaves, and Lauren Hutton's settling up the check, and the waitress brings over a fancy bottle of wine. Lauren's like, I didn't order this. What's that? Poulet fumé la Doucette, 71. I didn't order anything. Compliments of the gentleman at the bar. And the witch says, it's all right. It's from the guy at the bar. What guy? There's no guy at the bar. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And she's, well, she's, 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 she's paranoid by this point. It's just all playing into this, I can't go anywhere. He's everywhere. Nowhere safe, which is terrifying. Hello. I'm sorry you didn't like the wine. I mean, he even, she even changes her phone number and he gets the new number. How does that uh-huh. work? Right? Because he, because he can break into her apartment yeah. anytime he wants and look at the damn number on the phone. <laughs> I know, but... Because well, okay. it's written right on the phone. <laughs> the new number? Even when she changed Yeah, I checked. It? I checked. Because I... Yeah, I checked. I was like, <laughs> that is, I, initially I went, oh, that's a mistake. That's a different number that she read out loud at the beginning. Oh, wait, she changed the number. Oh, okay. 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 But yes, yeah, so this guy's really smart because it's not his first time at the rodeo. Mm. But what I love about this movie is that Lee is not fucking around. She does not fuck around. She comes home at one point and she finds a note on the door. It's like... Hi, this is so-and-so from Excursions Unlimited. Just missed you. I'll be waiting. I have a new present, and I'm waiting in the parking lot, but I'll only be here till 1130. And she, she doesn't do shrinking violet. She walks into her apartment, grabs a fucking butcher knife, and just starts yeah. storming down the goddamn yeah. hallway. She is fearless. Does not go to the doorman and say, come with me. Does not call uh, Paul. Is that his name? Does yeah. not call Paul. Sophie. She goes right down. I think she grabs a letter opener that time. It's and, a letter and, opener. And she's just yeah. she she has she has no I mean she has fear, but but she just sort of attacks the problem. Yeah, but but yeah. the face says steel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like she goes into battle mode halfway through the movie and I'm like, holy shit, wow, wow, wow. This is also unheard of in the 70s. Yeah. Women have to be rescued. Yeah. You need a man to come in at the end and rescue you from situations like this. And this whole laundry room scene is terrifying. Mm. I hate buildings like that. First of all, that building, the most advanced building in Los, in Los Angeles, had that laundry room. <laughs> I had that thought, too. You would have laundry in your apartment. Come on. In that Absolutely. fancy-ass building where the air conditioner can control itself. They might have a laundry room down there, but it would be its own separate thing, and it would be deluxe. True. Yeah. So, she, so she goes storming down to the, the parking garage to find this guy of course there's nobody there but the door to the laundry room makes a noise she's immediately fixed on the laundry room she she goes in and she's standing there and she's surveying the room and of course it's a cesspit <laughs> creepy dark water dripping saw basement mm-hmm. it's the laundry room from rosemary's baby yes yes i don't understand yes. it doing what it's doing in that posh building <laughs> no me either me either but this is where it really hit me. It's a long hallway that she has to walk to actually get, you know, from the door, inside the door to the laundry room itself. There's like a, you know, bit of a corridor. As she walks down this corridor, there's light play across her face that is gorgeous that you don't see in TV movies. True. No. It also happens before, right? When she runs after uh, Paul to give her her phone number, 
there's that moment where she where she discovers she's alone in downtown LA, creepy, and yeah. there's like a light just across her eyes. Um, so that old that old film noir technique, yeah, yeah. And you'd think for a movie shot in 18 days or 10 days, however however many days it took to shoot this movie, it would be like then you you know got to crank out those pages every day. We don't have time to light pretty. Exactly, exactly, because that's how most most of these TV movies were. They worked in the cheap. They worked fast. Mm-hmm. They, they just, I, he, I guess he brought his film crews with him. Yeah. I, mean, I don't he, know. I don't know. Because I mean, he has a stable of actors that he uses all the time who start showing up in this movie later. But we'll get there. <laughs> but yeah. But so, yeah, there's this whole scene in the laundry room. She's she's down there. She's got a knife. She's ready to attack with her laundry, letter opener or it is. And I forget. She she hears somebody walking around and there's a grate in the floor and she gets under the grate to hide. And this whole scene is terrifying. Yeah. Yes. As you're hearing the footsteps, and then whoever it is is just standing on top of the grate. Specifically be- right above because her. Because the gaps between the grates and that floor are not, they're very wide. So you could notice somebody underneath your foot in that grate. It's not like, so I was just waiting for him to look down and see her because she's so obvious. Suspense. You can so obviously see her, and instead yeah. he drops a cigarette on her. I mean, he doesn't know she's down there, but he, he nonetheless... Yeah. Get rid, gets rid of a cigarette and it lands in, in, in her lap and you think, oh, this is the moment where she's going to scream, but she holds it in. But you're talking about the lighting, the lighting on her through that grate? Yes. Yeah. Like, it just, it gives this added dimension. You can see the fear, like, exaggerated on her face with the lighting there. And that she's trapped like a rat. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she's not moving a muscle. And again, it's that stone face. She's not moving. She's not whimpering. She's not doing anything. She's not cowering like Jamie Lee Curtis. She's just trapped. She's not even putting her hand over her mouth. None of that stuff. Oh, yes. I hate when people do that in movies. No, exactly. She is just frozen. She is just frozen. And you can, like I said, you can tell she has a certain element of fear but you also can tell she has this amazing survival instinct and she's running on adrenaline and she's gonna try to make it through as you know as much as she can so at this point i just i'm not so much talking about the plot but at a certain point she confesses to paul like they have they have their second date and it's a flop they have dinner at her apartment and she's just a million miles away Mm. and paul being paul he's a philosophy teacher a professor and he always wants to get to the the real truth behind things so he's she's not letting her get away with it. oh i'm just tired it's been a long day he's like no no no. there's something wrong he she finally confesses that this stuff is happening she finally has somebody on her side he finds out that excursion limited doesn't exist and there's no license for it and so she's like this is weird you're right this is weird there's something weird and he's like we should go we should go to the police and when they go to the police who's there oh who's there who's there Charles Cipher. Can sh- we talk the, about the, Charles Cipher from Halloween? <laughs> Sheriff Brackett. Sheriff you. Brackett. You want to know what I can do? I can try to get you a tap, but the phone company will not install a tracer until they have completed a whole logging process. And that's it. What else? When he calls again, blow a whistle into the phone. Get your number changed. Get an unlisted number. I've done that. You can't do anything but give advice. No. No, I can't. Not until he does something. Like what? Rape? Murder? I don't blame you for the way you feel. But you don't know who he is. You don't bring me anything in that he's done that wouldn't be thrown out of court. No threats, no assault and battery, no motive. 
I can't arrest a man for sending presents in the mail and dialing wrong numbers. I'm sorry. But I was going to say yeah. that, you know, Paul, he comes in and he's not, he's not doing such that 70s thing of machismo kind of thing where I'm going to come in and save the day. He comes in out of like real genuine concern and like respect. I know you say you got this covered, but I want to try to help. Like as just as a friend. So you're not going through this alone. I mean, he not only believes her, but he's just also, he's never patronizing about it. And that is something very surprising to see compared to a lot of other TV movies and that kind of stuff. He also never he also never doubts her, which happens in movies all the time, where there's always that yes. one moment where where the where everyone thinks the the lead person is crazy, and a lot of I believe it, you believe it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I liked that he was constantly supportive and he was constantly on her side, but also gave her the room to to also sort of aid in the search and aid in the detective work. Like it was both their, it yes. was both their things. It wasn't just him sort of grabbing her by the arm and saying, I'll save you. Right. Right. And he didn't argue with her when he said, you know, I don't think he should stay here anymore. He should stay at my place. And she said, no, right. This is my home. If I leave, he wins. Mm -hmm. I think you should move. No, he's not going to chase me out. I don't care how hard it is. Dare he invade my life? He didn't argue with her. He just said, "Okay." Yeah, and it was like we're do. It's kind of like we're doing this together. You're not going through this alone. You don't have to try to take care of this on your own. I'll help. Yeah, and then Adrian Barbeau gets on the and then the accident. They had this like nice little crime fighting trio. Yeah. <laughs> Where are Shaggy and Scooby? Which are lots, lots of fun. I love this. I love the scene where they go out to get drunk to forget shit. Yes. Yeah. And they're just walking down the street totally drunk. And uh, this is just me being totally stupid. Lauren Hutton has this enormous necklace on. <laughs> it's so big, it's become a vagina loop. Oh, gosh. Like the whole scene is just like circling her <laughs> vagina. I'm like, wow. <laughs> and Adrian Barbeau did not even look at it, which is great. She probably gave it to yeah. her. No, she didn't. <laughs> Watch it with this. Wear this. <laughs> there is another there is another gay in the movie i decided there is? because when there's no gay context i force it <laughs> who's the other gay in the movie there's a point in the movie where lauren hutton figures out that the reason why she got a telescope as a present is that this guy's doing that that thing that killers or criminals often do where they say catch me catch me mm. catch me if you can i'm giving you all the clues to catch me and she realized that that present was a clue and she realized he must be in that building across the way <laughs> And the three of them are like taking turns looking through the telescope, and Adrian Barbo was having a ball. I know why he does this. It's kind of fun. Pervert. Oh? There's a woman on 33 cheating on her husband. That guy can't be her husband. He looks like Al Pacino. How can they live this high? They must get nosebleeds. Where is everyone? Cooking dinner? And moving downward? Man on 47 loves horticulture? And love is in bloom on 38. She's like, this is really fun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like watching television. <laughs> She's reading everybody in that building. She's saying that guy is, ha that woman's having an affair and her husband. That is not her I, husband. <laughs> I know. I that know. Guy's looking at, that guy's looking at records. He seems like he's a bachelor. Gay. He's gay. That's the gay guy. Because yeah. I was like, I was like okay, so they cut to this guy. She's like, aha. Uh -huh. Rich executive in the penthouse is a connoisseur of classical music. And I went, 
Okay, so he's wearing a smoking jacket, he's looking at classical music, <laughs> and he has a Chinese room divider. Gay! Gay, gay. Yep. That guy totally is gay. gay. I, I thought, is it going to go there? Or is she going to go, oh, look, it's another gay It's another gay person. Oh, I know her. Yeah. yeah. I feel, it's definitely oh, not him. Bitch. It's definitely I've been over there. <laughs> yes. But the thing is, as they're doing this, they're taking turns, and, and there was a point when, during the laundry room scene, where she, Lauren Hutton ran into some random creepy guy yes. coming into the laundry room as she was coming out. Yeah. And as she's surveying the building, she's like, fuck, that's the guy from the laundry room and he's got a telescope and he's pointing at this building. He's that great character actor, Len Lesser. Len yeah. Lesser. Oh, but I, I hold on. I had to take a minute for Len Lesser. God damn it. This guy's career. 1949 to like 2009 never stopped working. <laughs> I no, he worked I think until he died in what year he died? Yeah. Oh no, he worked until 2009, but he died in 2011. So Yeah, well something like that. But yeah, he was Uncle Leo on Seinfeld. He was on like yes. uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, but he did bit parts in everything for like mm-hmm. stuff 1949 like 70 years. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. If you saw this guy be like, "Oh him." What a career. Very nice. Nobody knows your name. But yeah, so but he's creepy looking. It's just a nat- He's one of those, oh yeah, that guy. The cops sw- swoop in and arrest him and he's got dirty pictures and he's like, no, 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 that's for other people. That's not but- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not denying I'm a pervert. <laughs> I just got the I just got the telescope. I was just setting it up. I was trying to focus it. He's got all these excuses. But for stargazing. He said it was for stargazing. For stargazing. Yeah. Come on, I felt bad for Len Lesser in this movie. Did anyone? I did too. He got he got he got yeah. shafted because he gets run out of yeah. town by the police and is you know he loses his pension. Everything gets pinned uh-huh. on him, and everybody thinks it's over. Do, can the police do that? Can they run somebody out of town and take away their pension? And well, Charles Cipher from Halloween says, like, listen, sometimes we bend the rules a little bit. That's, we put a little extra pressure on. That's them. terrible. That is terrible. Yeah. I thought at the end of this movie, we needed to do like a postscript and find out that she calls Len Lesser and she says, I'm so sorry. Come back to Los Angeles. It's just terrible that they that this happens to this poor guy. Well, yeah. uh, unfortunately, that does happen with a lot of people who are like wrongfully accused of crimes and especially if they spend time behind bars because of it. Mm. Not to get onto like a deep <laughs> like political subject, but yes. Yeah, but it's a real yeah. thing. And, and what I also liked with Charles Cipher as, as the police guy, because that's what he does, is that, <laughs> is that there's nothing he can do. Like, he's just like, listen, I'd love to help you, but there's literally nothing I can do. It's not, he's not gaslighting at any point. He never tells yeah. her that she's crazy, but she's just, I can't, my hands are tied. Yeah, without any evidence, yep. Yeah, until this happens. Like, okay, you saw him and he's looking at you. There's the thing, he's got dirty pictures. And apparently uh, that, um, there was a picture of her slid in there as well. Oh, and his pile of dirty pictures. And he's like, that's not mine. I've never seen that before. And, mm. I, and that's yeah. And he completely owns up to what is his and what isn't. He's at least an honest pervert. <laughs> yeah. Cut it. But let's talk. I wanted what I want to talk about is the reverse rear window sink. This is great. I love this whole scene. So Lee and Adrian Barbeau come back to Lee's apartment after being at the police station, after, you know, picking this guy out of a lineup and and making sure that he's going to be put behind bars and everything's going to be okay. It's all over now. But of course, it's not all over now. We still got 30 minutes left to go in this movie. They get back to the apartment and what's waiting for Lee on the carpet? 
another friendly little letter from Excursions Unlimited. But this one is just to let her know that her account is being terminated. From D.G. Hill, president of Excursions Unlimited. We regret to inform you that you have not qualified for our travel incentive vacation. What a shame. Your participation has reached final point and our only course of action is removal. Removal. So they go racing back to the police department in a panic and Charles Sarvers is just like, look, you got to calm down. We got this guy. We broke the rules. We bent the rules for you. We sent him out of town. He's not here anymore. He can't hurt you anymore. As for this letter, well, you know, it's a letter. He probably sent it to you before we picked him up. There's nothing to worry about. But of course, there's something to worry about. So Adrian Barbeau, Lauren Hutton, they're continuing their own. Investigation. They're trying to figure out. They're back at the telescope, trying to see what they can see. You know, they've got the windows drawn, and they're looking at the, the building again, and they're really doing it scientifically. Like, okay, it, he has to be between this floor and this floor in order to see in here, and eventually they catch him, and, like, that's him. And she's like, that, that, that's got to be him. And uh, instead of calling the police because she knows they're not going to do anything because he still hasn't done anything to threaten her, she goes storming over there. She's like, hey, I got walkie-talkies. Adrian Barbeau, here's one. I'm going over there. Yes. I don't see anything. The place is dark. Where's Hunt? He won't be back till 11.30. Paul's in San Francisco. If I call the police again, they're gonna think I'm crazy. You watch the lobby. Wait a minute. I need an edge. Something like this. No. I kind of hope I run into it. No, Lee, you can't do this. Yes, I can. So I just say it's reversed because, you know, it was, um, you know, the hero, Jimmy Stewart, had to stay and watch while Grace Kelly went over there, and this is the hero going and taking charge. Of the yeah. Situation. What I also loved is that she went over there and she took her purse. <laughs> like you're gonna do a little B and E, and you're gonna bring your purse at a girl. Well, know. if she gets if she gets caught, she's got to make up some story, so she'll you know. Also, she had to bring her cigarettes because, by the way, half of this movie's budget had to go to Lauren Hutton. Oh and, and the lighters, I've, or at least lighter fluid. <laughs> and did it, like listen? I'm not a smoker myself, so I, I I'm just thinking out loud, but um. Well, the way she holds cigarettes in this movie, that's not the way you hold cigarettes, right? Well, uh, yeah, no, she does it right. Because here's the thing. She's a model. And I have a friend. I have a friend who's a model. And I have a friend who's a dancer. And both of them tell the same story. Like they, like the, the dancer went to uh, Juilliard. Her first day of dance class, everybody got a pack of cigarettes. Oh. The teacher's like, that's what you eat from oh, now on. God. Pretty so, much. So Lauren would know how to hold a cigarette. No. Yeah, it's a weight it's a weight loss thing. It curbs your hunger. Right, right. The old joke is what is a model's diet? Cigarettes and diet coke. Oh my gosh. Tab. Yeah, tab. <laughs> You're right. It was this it was the 70s. <laughs> it is shocking to see people smoke indoors. You know, she smokes at a restaurant, she smokes at work. Yeah. 
<laughs> she smokes in the guy's bed. She smokes in the, in the killer's apartment. That's right. that, that floored me. I'm like, okay, you're going over there to do a little breaking and entering and to try to nab someone. Well, what if you're trying to sneak away or something? It, you've been smoking. Yeah, when he comes home and he's like, uh, <laughs> I smell a Virginia Slim because you know that's what she smokes. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> something similar. Yeah, she doesn't put a lot of thought into it. She's just like, I'm going to head over there. I know the apartment. Oh, she's without fucks. She's without fucks Actually. by that point. But we're back. We've got to go back to the uh, when she breaks into this uh, this penthouse apartment. And she finds all of the equipment. She finds his recording stuff. She sees the telescope. He's keeping a logbook of every time he's called and every time he sends her something. And she's like, we got him. We got him, Adrian Barbo. But what happens? Well, her and Adrian are, are, are communicating through these walkie-talkies, and she ends up looking through the telescope in the guy's apartment to her apartment. And unbeknownst to both of them, the killer is now back in her place. And Adrian Barbeau gets it. Hey. Crisscross. a terrifying scene. <laughs> yeah. Ter- and she gets to watch. I know. She gets to watch. When she goes back with the police, there's no body. There's no body. And the police say, uh, she was leaving for Fort Worth because if she was, she's like, I got, I got a plane to Fort Worth tonight. I just wanted to say goodbye right. when all this goes down. And she was going to Fort Worth to start this new job and her airplane ticket was used. Yeah, this is a strange part. She's gone. Yeah. There's a lot of plot holes in this in this very moment. They're like like a lot of. A lot of bells went off in my head. I was like, wait a minute. Someone used her ticket? It's the, it's the 70s, man. <laughs> Different time. Different time. <laughs> True. That TSA, you know. Yeah, you didn't have to show ID to get your ticket. You just kind of walked on the damn plane. And she's devastated. Mm. And, 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 and she's at the police station. And she comes home from the police, you know, telling the whole story. She's like, no, I heard it. And I saw it. I heard her die. And I saw her. She's dead. Mm. She's not in Fort Worth. She's not visiting friends. And they're just like, well, they're, we're going to have the station call in the mornings when she shows up for work. It's the worst. And you know, that scene where she gets murdered, Adrian Barbeau's screams, it's just super, super well done because you see it from Lauren Hutton's point of view. But yes. it's it's yeah. it's so devastating because you can just hear the fear in her voice. And Adrian Barbeau uh-huh. is amazing in that moment. Both of them. Yes. Yeah. Both yeah. of them are amazing in this scene. And again, if they did not have the acting level and the connection level for these characters, it would have meant nothing. True, true. In a lesser movie. Like, you, I felt horrible when this happened. Yeah, you're, you're right. You can, I mean, hear the horror in Adrian Barbo's voice, but it's also Lauren Hutton, that expression of helplessness that she has. And not just the horror that this is happening to her friend and happening in her apartment where she should have been. He was coming for her at the same time. Again, wrong place, wrong right. time. But yeah, it's really powerful. And she comes, she, she comes home from the police. She comes in her apartment and her shower's running. When she opens the door, there's a message written in the steam on the window that just says, nobody believes you. This fucking guy, man. You left the shower on, Lee. This fucking guy is evil. He's evil. He's just a dick. One of my my favorite acting 
moments in anything is when you see that moment when a character, especially in horror, when a character cracks. Yeah. Like this was like you just her again. She's not whimpering. She's not crying. She's not screaming. But you just see sanity drain from her face. Also, no one like no one believes her. She can't get anybody to believe her. Her best friend is dead. Like you were saying, it's just like she's yeah, she's got Paul. And even Paul at this point is like, well, we have to wait and see. Hmm. We'll wait and see. She'll call. She's not going to. No. Yeah. We know she's not. And then later on, like in the next day, when she, like, she, had, she had the walkie-talkie in the car, she's going to work for the first time in weeks, and he starts talking to her on the walkie-talkie and plays her the audio <laughs> of Adrian Barbeau oh. getting murdered again. She just has to relive this whole thing again. Oh, my God. Awful. We, Sophie's dead. Remember how it sounded. This guy's so fucking mean. <laughs> He's a dick. He's an evil dick. That's all I've got to say. Oh. And that's really the only time where she breaks. Like you see her yeah. crack up. Like you see that moment with Sanity, but shit, that's that's just too like that's the emotional break there. He can like just powerful yeah. stuff. Powerful stuff. Well played by Lauren. Well played well by Lauren. Well played yeah. by Lauren. Go you go, you model you. Well, you know, Lauren Hutton says that this is the best thing she ever did, including modeling. I read that, that this was her favorite performance. And she did, she's done a lot. I mean, she worked with Burt Reynolds. She worked with Richard Gere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's his face? Um, in Once Bitten? <laughs> Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's yeah. his face? Yeah. Because, I mean, she's, she's had, this is an acting tour de force for her, especially in moments like this. And she, she has these moments, but she always comes back with from them stronger, which I think is fantastic for a 1978 movie. Mm -hmm. Written by a man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's the interesting thing, too. It And it's not that it's ever made to be, like, a big deal. That, you know, oh, the woman, you know, has this capability and is doing all these different things on her own. Or, you know, oh, this man that's involved with her is treating her respectfully and allowing her space to be independent to some degree. You know, it's never made to be a big deal. It just is. And I know this movie wasn't made for TV, originally wasn't going to be made for TV. But if you think about it, it's really smart writing because the majority of people watching this movie are probably going to be women, right? Women were pro yeah. probably made up the majority of people watching these TV movies. So why not give them mm -hmm. a woman to root for? You know, the guys are watching, yeah. the guys are watching fucking football, but the women are watching these TV movies. And, you know, that's why David Bernie's in this because. And the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and the kids. So the kids are traumatized by this movie, but the women are like, you go. Yeah. I remember actually, I saw this when it first aired and I didn't really understand it because it was only like seven. Mm -hmm. I, I remember being scared by the calls, but I didn't really understand all this interplay, but I, the, the the death of Adrian Barbeau was devastating. Yeah, as a kid, it must have. I loved yeah. her, and it's before I was a horror fan or knew who she was or saw Maude. We weren't allowed to watch Maude. I was Catholic. It was banned by the church. <laughs> we couldn't watch it. So, but because um, she had an abortion. Yeah. What I wanted to say about her character is that also, the, okay, like like if you ever saw the rise of Leslie Verdon, it's like I in the rise of Leslie Verdon. Does he's talking about? It's like I want that moment where she transforms from victim mm -hmm. to an empowered woman. That's the moment of magic. She doesn't have that moment. You know, well, it's because it's always there. Yeah. Like the character you see at the beginning is the same character you see at the end. She does not transform. Like she always has the strength within her. Right. You see that from the beginning. And even when she weakens, she sort of picks herself up. 
She doesn't have to be abused into becoming strong. Right, no. right. It's only making her stronger, which I thought was incredible. Yeah. And then we have the final showdown. They figure out that this guy is, um, he's a building inspector. <laughs> he's a safety inspector for, for buildings. That's how he can get into everything. That this, you know, Paul figures it out. They go interview somebody and like, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a guy. And he just, you know, he can, he can control the lights. He can, the, the elevator. He has access to absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah, the having the control of the elevator is fucking scary, especially when you live on a floor that's as high as she was on. I lived on the 43rd floor when I was in, 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 a, in, a, in a Hell's Kitchen. It was a scary place to be <sighs> sometimes. I mean, I worked in some buildings that were tall, but. If you got in the elevator with a sketchy person, hmm. 43 floors is a really long time to be in an enclosed space with someone that you're like, that person is going to snap. There's something going on with that person that I do yeah. not like. I guess there is an element of when you're really that high, you have a lot of freedom, but also you are kind of trapped. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. And also, if you live in Hell's Kitchen on 10, on 9th Avenue, if you go on your, if you go at the risk of going out on your balcony, you get you blown off on a high wind. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. That's true. There you go. <laughs> Couldn't leave like you can't leave any furniture out there because it will blow off. <laughs> <laughs> Sully will save you. Sully will save you. Yeah, Sully will save you. Uh, that happened right outside my building. Did it really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Bradford, who's a 9-11 survivor, watched the whole thing and relived the oh whole thing. Goodness. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, not talking about that. <laughs> he um yeah, so we have this whole showdown. She again, she's like, fuck it, I got his address. I'm going in. And she breaks into his house. I'm like, you go, mm. bitch. Go, bitch. Smoking yeah, in there. Yeah, girl. I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want to get into too much about the, uh, about the ending because I don't want to spoil it because this movie's great. Mm-hmm. And it's got a great ending, too. Yeah. Again, she doesn't need Paul to save her. She saves yes. herself. Okay, she saves herself. I'm saying that. And, uh, what I want to say is that we only see little bits of our killer. Yeah. But the movie, like maybe an it's eye. Very much like a giallo. Maybe a hand. Even during the fight at the end, you don't see his face. Mm-hmm. Except for one shot, like the climax of the movie, and his face is terrifying. Like, there's no expression on his face. It's completely blank. He's not even, nothing moving on his, there's nothing, no prosthetics, nothing ugly about it. But you're like, that is an absolutely terrifying shot yeah. of an ordinary yes. man. Yeah. I can't explain it. You have to see it to Good casting it. choice. Good casting Again, choice. And it's also the lighting and the lighting and, and just saying, like, just give me nothing. Mm-hmm. Give me nothing, which is a bold choice. Yeah. And I loved, I loved it. Again, even for this final battle, she goes back to, I, I'm just not laying it all out. She goes back to her apartment after breaking into his house and she realizes immediately he's in here. Mm. He's in the apartment and she tries to leave and the doorknob's been broken and the phone has the buttons pulled off and the lights start going on and off again. <laughs> and it's just really, and she's hearing footsteps and she doesn't start turning into Jamie Lee Curtis. No, she just see her get tougher and tougher. Like I have had it now. <laughs> You're in my house. This is my castle. <laughs> a woman's home is her castle. And I'm and the queen of this bitch. And it's not a big castle. This is what, this is what leads to the suspense is that like, he can't be in that many places. So if he's wearing beige, you might never <laughs> see him. Well, that's true. <laughs> Lauren, Lauren, just stand against the wall. You'll blend in. He won't see you. <laughs> No, but like, so you're thinking where, where he, he could be like uh, behind the couch. He could be, you know, there's not many places to hide. So you're just, yeah. So you're just waiting for, it's just a really well staged scene. And and you're right, Patrick. She just, I mean, how much she breaks a window with a chair. She has these great moments where she's like, I'm not going to be the victim anymore. No, she's yeah, like, her, like one of her first instances, I'm going to break the window. I'm going to start screaming out the fucking windows. It's Los Angeles. There's thousands of people around. There's thousands of people in that building right over there. Someone's going to hear me and see me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
The only thing I don't like is that it's got the 70s trope is that the ending happens and it's just that there's no denouement. It's just over. I know. Yes. We, we get a close up of her face. She says one last line and then cut to credits. We don't find about we don't. It's common of the time. Very common. <laughs> Lots of movies end like that. Uh, Hell Night ends like that. A few others. I can't remember what else. But there's so many things. Just, and we're done. Yeah. And we're done. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Yeah. I want to know what happened to Len Lesser. I want to know what happened to So. I mean, I know what happened. Did they ever find Adrian Barbeau's body? Where's Sophie? Yeah, Sophie gets yeah. no closure. Nice. Where's Paul? We don't see Paul. You know, and that's no, that's good. At least we don't see Paul like rushing in and hugging her or saving her. That's no. true. I appreciate. No, she that stayed in there on her own. She solved her. Oh, sorry, you go, Vanessa. I, I was just going to say I appreciated that a lot because I, even if it's. A queer relationship i get to the point with a lot of movies where i just don't feel there needs to be excessive romance it's just not my thing not that right. i don't like no. romance stuff sometimes yeah this movie had just the right amount of boning but it was yeah exactly it was <laughs> it felt natural one little scene it felt totally normal it yeah felt natural. get that out of the way <laughs> but it felt like they were forming an actual relationship and not that I'm I'm totally fine if it was just a boning relationship. I mean, like, I have no problem with that. I'm not saying I do. But it was an interesting, nice change of pace. Because also, it was just something in the background that happened. It wasn't a focus. The focus was her and what she was doing. And she her action was primary. This was just... He was an afterthought. But he helped... He helped. That's fine. But it wasn't a necessity. And I appreciated that tremendously. No, it's a tight, very suspenseful movie. And we didn't spoil it for you. So there you go. No. Well, we kind of did, but not all the way. There's still lots of shocks. There's at least one other big shock, something that made me jump that I don't want to give away. We yeah. talked about one, but there is another. And yeah, it sort of rises above what we think. And I, and I hate to even say that because there are so many TV movies and, and, and TV movies that, are, that I'm really, really close to that I remember fondly. So I, I think that form, people make fun of the form of the TV movie, but I think, um, I, I think the talent needs to be recognized. And the fact that they, all, they made these so quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And still managed to make them sound and look good with good actors. I mean, listen, there is an aspect of this movie where it feels like everything is on a set. Oh, I'm sorry. The dummy building <laughs> yes. across yes. the way at certain points. I'm like, that is a two-dimensional cardboard set. <laughs> Try to cover it up by giving us like the Death Star shop, shot of the building every 10 minutes. Do you notice yes. that that shot from the bottom looking up? It looks like the fucking Death Star. So there is the as yeah. that, that aspect of like there's not a lot of exteriors. A lot of the interiors do look like, like sets. But it didn't take away from me from this movie. I just thought, um, I just thought her plight held me. Well, I think it's because yeah. there was yeah. a strong enough script, like plot-wise and dialogue-wise, and then you had capable enough actors. That's what makes it rise above. And even the transitions between scenes don't make it feel so much about like a, a made-for-TV movie. Yes, there are a couple places where it's like, oh, that was obviously a commercial break. <laughs> but there are not many of those compared mm -hmm. to a lot of other made-for-TV no. movies. Well, no. they're not the obvious ones where it's the, uh, you know, like the soap opera thing where they freeze on you. Know, it's just, they're zooming in on someone's face, just going, <gasps> yeah, <gasps> for longer than anybody would do. That kind of a fade out. There's none of that shit. There's not a lot of and cut to the cast. They're, they're 
they're pretty seamless edits and, you know, and they run smoothly. And I think all of those things together kind of bring it out of the category of made for TV, even though that is what it is, you know, sure, there are certain things about it that when you look, you know, you look at it or different things, you're just like, oh, yeah, it definitely, like you're saying about the sets, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. oh, that yeah. definitely a yeah. made for TV yeah. type thing. But it doesn't feel limited by that. Exactly. And the other thing is that I said, I've said about when I've covered other John Carpenter involved movies, I, I think I was covering uh, Halloween three, when I said this, John Carpenter had a rotating stable of fantastic character actors to fill out the smaller parts. Yes. Yeah. So you never get some chump that's, you know, getting their big break on their one liner. It's always somebody like, you know, Len Lesser. Yeah. Or, or, or somebody like some of the other guys, like the guy who played the building manager, he was in Halloween as well. He's one of the doctors at the oh, asylum. Right. Oh, the yeah. really? redhead guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, James, James, Mortak, yeah, he was also in uh, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. He played, he was in the Laramie Project, so he works oh, all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, there's another one, the guy who played the, um, where is he? Uh, Robert, Robert Fallon, who played the guy who gave them the info dump about the building managers. He was in Halloween as well, uh, Three Days of the Condor. So he's got great character actors in tiny oh little parts. Oh my gosh, he, and it just may, it just gives it weight. Yeah. And I love a director who's loyal to, I love a director who's loyal to actors who keeps hiring the same actors. I mean, because yes. I guess eventually you have a shorthand and you know how the director works. Yeah. Like, this is my crew. I, I like, Yeah. Because he's probably made these other two movies. Like, like I want to use my crew because I know how they work and they work fast and they work good. I don't want to work with strangers. I also thought that he made this after Halloween. So I thought maybe he had more creative control. But the fact that he made it before Halloween is kind it's of amazing because you think when I think of John Carpenter and Halloween and I know he made two features before Halloween. I know they were non-union, but everyone it, it, this like the sort of idea is that he sort of came into his own on Halloween, like Halloween introduced the world to John Carpenter. But he was a working filmmaker and screenwriter before Halloween. I mean, he made a. when did he make the Elvis um, the Elvis TV movie. Uh, that was that was like nineteen eighty. That was after Halloween. I think. Um, I think so. I'm not sure that with Ken yeah, Russell. Yeah. So he uh, with Kurt. Again, Kurt Ken Russell. Russell. Kurt Russell. I was going to say Kurt, Ken Russell. Russell yeah. Kurt, wow. <laughs> That'd be interesting casting. Um, but but you you. I didn't know. I didn't know Elvis had eyes in his nipples. <laughs> oh my gosh! Can you imagine a Ken Russell directed movie about oh, Elvis? Oh my goodness! I might. And I've seen I've seen that that sh- that movie the the Elvis. Oh yeah, they used to run all that one. They ran a lot. Yeah, Elvis was seventy nine. Oh wow! So he came to Halloween as a fully fledged filmmaker, knowing what he was doing. And I often, you often forget that. You often think every, the 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 idea is that oh, he was a young filmmaker. He made Halloween, and then it sort of catapulted his career. But he really knew what he was doing. Right. That's I just figured that out too. That right. He came in from making movies. Most of these other guys who come in to do the TV movies came in from doing TV shows. So they shoot yeah. things like TV shows. That totally makes sense. Yes. Yeah. I, did you notice who the executive producer was? Richard Kobritz. <laughs> Mrs. Kobritz. <laughs> Mrs. Kobritz from the Mrs. Fog. Kobritz. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, I was just, I was reading all these details like uh, 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 Charles Cipher's character, whatever his name was. That character pop that name pops up in another movie. I think it's in mm-hmm. the thing. So he he plays these games all like with names and with right. people, and I think that's funny. Like, I want to name this character. I'm going to name this character after your mother, Rich. <laughs> he does that a lot. Like, you know, wasn't wasn't Doctor Doctor Loomis in Halloween named after Sam Loomis from Psycho? And yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Carpenter is often accused of like not wanting to talk about his horror movies now, but there was a time when he was like all in, and yeah. he just loved the genre. I mean, he loved westerns too, but 
like he really loved this genre and um, just peppered it with all sorts of references to other things, which I which I just really appreciate. Yeah. So that is someone's watching me. I think we've done it, kids. And for those of you who are interested, uh, this Saturday at the Scream Queens drive-in, we will be doing a watch party of somebody's watching me. So if you want to see it, come join us. It's a good time. And the URL for that is bit.ly slash sqsocial. All right. So, uh, <laughs> Vanessa, why, why don't you tell us what goes on over at the VD Clinic podcast? Because you're not checking for VD. No, we cover a book and a movie uh, lately because I quarantine kind of schedule we are just on a monthly schedule it's kind of my co-host he has a little one at home that he's having to oh god deal sure with yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so takes away some of the the time and it, scheduling gets complicated but so we've always done book and a movie kind of with a common theme for october we are doing a werewolf theme and we're covering um the howling the movie uh speaking of which that guy who uh the guy who played the building manager the redhead guy yes that was yes. he's also in the howling oh Just keep an oh eye out gosh. for him <laughs> okay i will and we are pairing that with the stephen king novella cycle of the werewolf mm. nice and yeah so come on check us out we on kind of all social media it's vd clinic pod uh you can find us on legion podcasts network so um one way or another but um yeah we kind of do things sometimes that are just random and off the wall like last month we did barbarella <laughs> you know that is neither random nor off the wall that is essential viewing oh my god that is perfect barbarella is perfect oh my and by the way when you do a search for that be sure to include the pod or podcast part of the vd clinic because otherwise you're going to wind up in really weird places and get on mailing lists I'm, you don't want to be on mm-hmm. so dan Thank what's you. going on with you where, where can people that. find about you and watch some of your things like tell us some more tell us like where they can see you do your stuff Sim- similarly i have a podcast and it's called hot date and if you just type that in you might find some websites that you not safe for work but <laughs> <laughs> my friend vicky and i my friend vicky and i do this hot date podcast we release a show every two weeks and uh we choose a random date in history, then then find a movie that came out around that date, and we talk about it. Kind of a fun way to introduce ourselves and other people to new movies. Um, other than that, I'm actually writing a screenplay. Scary. Nice. Uh, my first. I'm just diving in, and I had an idea, and I took a class, and I thought, why the fuck not? Um, but if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. You know, um, that's that's kind of what I'm doing, and trying to get my life back after covid <laughs> if we want to get a big taste of double d over here that's where you find him all right yeah, yeah. that's where you okay so thank yeah. you both for joining me this is a great way to kick off october and yeah hope to see you again soon and until i do uh, take care of yourself stay safe and stay fabulous thank you patrick thank you patrick All right, so once again, I want to say a huge thank you to Miss Vanessa McCannery from the VD Clinic Podcast and also to the fabulous Mr. Dan Dominguez for coming by and helping me tell you all about Someone's Watching Me. And I would also like to take this opportunity to remind you that you are cordially invited to a free watch party of Someone's Watching Me this Saturday, October 18th at 3 p.m. We'll be watching it on the Cast app and to join us, and it's 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
And to join us, all you got to do is go to bit.ly slash sqsocial. That's bit.ly slash sqsocial. That's Scream Queens with a social after it. That's how you remember it. Very clever. Patrick, you throw so many of these URLs at us. How are we supposed to remember them all? Hey, you can't, you may, did you miss a URL that I talk about in the show? They're right down there in the show notes. Don't you worry. All right. They'll be right there waiting for you. Before I get to my final thoughts for this episode and say goodbye, I would like to thank my cohorts in crime. First of all, thank you to Squadcast FM for being the most rational and most fabulous remote recording solution for professional podcasters that's out there right now. I had some problems with them last month trying to get an episode of Damn You Uncle Lewis up. I wasn't able to use the service and... Maya and Trey and I, we tried a couple of the other options, and they were terrible. Terrible. And we wind up going back to Squadcast because you just can't beat it. If you want quality sound with an interface that's easy to use and have automatic backup so that you never lose a second of your files, Squadcast is the way to go. Bad sound is the most common reason that people turn off a podcast and never come back, so don't be that person. Go check out Squadcast for free for seven days, and to do that, you can go to bit.ly slash squad queens that's bit.ly slash squad queens for a seven day free trial and also be super sexy disco dancing roller skating cheese grating competitive hot dog eating karate chopping kung fu fighting jedi knights of the internet over at captivate fm captivate fm is the only podcast host that is actively involved in growing your podcast they make podcasts exceedingly easy and they add fabulous new features Every day, making it even easier to make your podcast bigger and bigger and get you out there without you having to do a heck of a whole lot of work. And boy, is that a refreshing change. And again, if you want to give them a free trial, again, you can go to bit.ly slash Captivate SQ. Bit.ly slash Captivate SQ. And a Halloween season is coming up and it's going to be a weird Halloween. I mean, I'm curious to know what everybody's doing. I have no plans because I've been, I've had, I've had no plans since March. I've gone nowhere. I've done nothing. I'm just curious what people are doing. So if you have costumes or if your house is decorated or anything like that, please send them to me. I would love to see them. And you can do that by reaching out to me on any of these social links. Uh, perhaps you want to send me an email at crew.screamqueens.com with pictures of your family or your kids or your friends or your loved ones or your house will decorate for Halloween. I want to see. And I'll happily show your asses off on our on the Scream Queens Instagram page. So yeah, you can reach me there at crew at screamqueens.com. You can find me on Facebook by doing a search on Scream Queens, where horror gets gay. I'm on Twitter at Scream Queens, and I'm on Instagram at Scream Queens Podcast. Now for my patrons, you just got to wait another week. Next Monday, we're going to be coming out with a brand new episode of Damn You, Uncle Lewis, which is, of course, our Patreon exclusive Friday the 13th, the series podcast. We're up to episode 10 of the show, which is... Tales of the Undead, in which the gang have to hunt down a cursed comic book that turns you into an invincible killer robot. Dun, dun, dun. And for those of you not on Patreon, the other things that you missed, I just did an episode a couple of weeks ago where, where the final reel, the final reel, the final reel is where I normally would go to the movies and tell you what to see and what not to see. But since there's nothing in the movies, I'm telling you what I'm watching and what's good and what's not. So if you're not a patron, you missed out on, you know, damn you, Uncle Lewis. And you don't know what I thought of that new gay movie on Shudder. I think it's called Spiral. Yeah, I have made a review on that, and I'm never going to talk about it here on the show. Join the ranks of the Super Screamers for as little as $2 a month. Nice and simple, and to do that, you go www.patreon.com slash Scream Queens. And of course, don't forget to go check out the Scream Queens, the Scream Tees merchandise shop. Find out all those featured products of the month. And if you're following me on social media, you'll be actually able to see the photos of what I'm talking about because photos are always better than me just trying to describe them to you. So follow me, follow me, follow me and check all that cool stuff out because it's so much fun stuff for you. All right. Last words, final thoughts. 
I'm sure you're sick of hearing this, but I cannot stress how important it is that you get out there and vote this year. No matter how you need to do it, you need to get out there and do it. You can't be sitting on the fence this year. You can't just decide to sit this one out because people's lives are depending on it. You want a concrete one? This one right here. This guy talking to you right now. If I lose my insurance, I'm dead. I had those 10 days last month where I, when I was sick on top of that, where I could not get access to my HIV medications. And you know, a lot of you know, I don't just have, I'm not, I'm HIV positive and technically very healthy, but way back when, when I first got sick and the meds weren't working, I got a full-blown AIDS diagnosis. I know what awaits me if I get sick again. This almost took me out once and it was not pretty. And the fact that I get better at all, all the doctors said it was a miracle. You don't get two miracles. I'm not coming back from this one if this happens. And the thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands, I don't know, untold numbers out there who are sitting there with the same fear. So when I hear about people sitting on the fence or saying they're going to sit this one out, I'm going, I just have to say, you are literally killing me. You don't care if I live or if I die. And I'm not saying this to be put this in a selfish way. Like, oh, it's all about me. I'm just saying I want you to have a voice and a face to put to this, to say when I sit this one out and choose not to vote, or throw my vote away, or write somebody in, this is the person I'm hurting. Yeah, I'm hurting Patrick Walsh. There, there you go. So have a plan this year. I know that everything's crazy. Just have a plan set up. Like I, For instance, I got my ballot. I, I applied for my absentee ballot. Of course, now I don't really trust the post office either. So my backup plan is that I'm going to march all the way down to the voting office and put it in a Dropbox myself. And then I can track it online. I don't know if my voice been my vote's been read or not. And if for some reason I can't get down there, I'm going to be marching down to the library in Jackson Heights as soon as early voting opens, and I'll vote in person on the machines. Have a plan for voting. Have a backup plan. Apathy or indifference this year is unconscionable. So don't do it. Make a choice. Let your voice be heard. All right, so coming up on Scream Queens, like I said, next week I'll be announcing this plan for a one-night-only live-streaming special. That'll be a fundraiser for a charity I'm going to announce that helps homeless people in New York City. I have to put all the uh, pieces of that puzzle together this week, and you'll find out about it next Monday. Uh, also on Monday, uh, my patrons are going to be getting the next episode of Damn You, Uncle Lewis. And the week after that, John Carpenter Month continues, where I'm going to be joined by listener Tara Gardner and my friend from high school, Mike Haloon, and we're going to talk about his movie, well, not his movie, John Carpenter. We're going to be talking about Michael K. Loon's movie, The Fog. <laughs> you know what? That's a terrible movie. We're going to talk about John Carpenter's The Fog. I don't know what I'm saying, kids. I'm out, of, I'm out of steam. So let's wrap this puppy up. So until next time, my beautiful, beautiful screamers, please continue to make the world a saner place during this turbulent time. And in order to do that, you have to live by the scream queen's ever-changing golden rule but the core of it always stays the same so say as much of it as you can with me fight or flight survive the night make it to the final reel wear a fucking mask wash your fucking hands keep your fucking distance vote your fucking heart out and stay fabulous because gosh darn it I love you see you next time screamers bye <laughs> Oh,
of the music for tonight's show, unless otherwise specified, has been written by Sam Haynes. You can find all of his music at www.bandcamp.com. Bitches! <laughs>